Welcome to week five of Superpowers. I want to start by just telling you a story. It starts with a king. The king's name is Saul. He was the very first king that God chose to lead his people, Israel. He did okay for a while. It, it was obvious that he could have been a really great leader. It was obvious that there were qualities in his life that he could have walked that out a long time. But the problem was that as Saul uh, at times refused to listen to God, times that Saul chose to rebel and do his own thing, it got to the point where God said, you know, Saul, you, you can't lead my people anymore. You, you can't be the leader and do this. Enter character number two of this story. His name is David. David, uh, the giant killer that, that you would be familiar with, this is him. God starts this process with, with him as a young man, and as God grows him in those abilities, uh, the victories that David experiences as a warrior, uh, it begins to spread across the kingdom. Songs are being written about him, and the higher those songs climb on the charts, the madder King Saul gets. Two times, Saul actually tries to pin David to a wall with a spear. He goes after David's family. He tries to mess with David's character. A number of the Psalms that you read in, 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 in the Psalms in your Bible is, is a context of David calling out to God as he is running from Saul. Character number three in this story, his name is Jonathan. Jonathan is Saul's son. And Jonathan shows kindness to David. In the midst of Saul trying to hunt David down, Saul's own son, Jonathan, who, who does care for his dad, but, but he, he, and David have a friendship that is probably one of the most powerful pictures of friendship in the whole Bible. One more character. His name is Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth is Jonathan's son, Saul's grandson. There is a day in which Saul and Jonathan are on the battlefield And it is their last day to be on the battlefield. They both die in battle. And for Mephibosheth, this is a worst day. Now I'm saying I believe that across this room there are some of you who've had some really, really, really bad days. But not many of us in this room have had a day like Mephibosheth had on that day. He was just five years old. I imagine a five-year-old gets up that day thinking he's going to play in the yard like he does every other day. But no, this day is going to be different because soon the word arrives that his grandfather has been killed in battle. And then he gets the word that his father 
has been killed in battle. On this day, Mephibosheth loses a father. He loses his family. But not only does he lose his father on this day, but he also loses an inheritance on this day. Because you realize he's, he's next in line for the throne. He, he is next in line to, to rule over everything that his grandfather, that his father would be a part of, all, all of that land. And, and all the wealth, all the status, all that would come with it. I mean, on this day, the market crashes for Mephibosheth. He's just five years old. He does gain something on that day. But it's not what you want to gain. He gains a death sentence. Because as was the case in, in that period of time, no next king, no next ruler is going to allow the descendants of the ruler before him to live. Why? Because there, there is a, a rightful claim to the throne. You don't want that coming back on you much later in life. All of a sudden it shows up out of nowhere because he wants the throne that was rightfully his. I'm saying that's a bad day. That, that's a bad day when you lose your father, you lose all your inheritance, and you gain a death sentence. They want you gone. But it got worse. It got worse because the story that is recorded in Scripture is that when the, the lady who cares for Mephibosheth hears the word Saul has gone down in battle, Jonathan has gone down in battle, she takes hold of Mephibosheth and she knows because of this, they got to run. They got to get out of there. And we don't know exact detail of how it happened, but something happens in them running for their life that they fall. Either she falls on him in some way or he falls in a certain manner. But what is clear is that from that day forward, Mephibosheth was crippled and he could no longer walk. Now, you realize we're, we're talking a day where physical ability matters greatly in terms of being able to work, in terms of being able to make a living. N nobody in this day is sitting behind a desk programming for a living. No nobody in this day is using their cell phone to make sales calls, right? This is a different day. Everything is physical. Everything is about a, a, a difficult labor, and he can no longer walk. Five years old. That's a bad day. We're, we're told that he escapes to a place called Lodabar. Lo means no, and Dabar means pasture land. You, you put those terms together, and, and the intended is a desolate place. It is a barren place. It is an empty place. It's the kind of place you go to live if you want no one to find you. In other words, nobody in their right mind wants to be in this kind of territory. And so this is where you settle just to save your life. Until the day that 
superpower is displayed. And you would say, well, who, who is it? Who is it that, that is going to display such superpower? You ready for this? It was none other than King David. I want you to hear what King David says. The story is recorded in 2 Samuel chapter 9. You can, you can read it this week. I'm, I'm going to show you a few of these verses. It says in 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 1, David asked, Is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show, what's the word? Kindness for Jonathan's sake. Now, just in case you have a tendency to, to, to read this and go, well, David's just being nice. Okay, he, he, he's just trying to be nice. I, I want you to see the depth of what he's asking here. And so, again, he asked this question in verse 3. If we go to the first part of verse 3, the king asked, again, is there no one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show? And this time, look how it's phrased. God's kindness. All right, that, this is not just some, some little David right, trying to be nice. He, he says, is there anyone to whom I can show God's kindness? The, the picture we have here is that David has experienced God's kindness through the heart of Jonathan that has cared for him and protected him even when, when Jonathan's own dad wanted to see him dead. And now David is responding by saying, that kind of God kindness that has been poured out into my life, is there anyone in Saul's household that's left that I can do the same for them? The next part of verse 3, Ziba, who was one of the attendants for King David, answered the king, there is still a son of Jonathan. He is lame in both Who's he talking about? Yeah, can you say it? I know, it's like the Bethlehem, right? It's, it's a funny name, but what a story. So David sends, he sends for Mephibosheth. And he has him brought in. Now, again, you, you got to try, try just a little bit to, to put yourself in, in Mephibosheth's place. Now, some years have passed. He's not five anymore. He's not five years old anymore. He's been hiding out in, in this place where he thought no one would ever find him. That was his goal. Ever since that horrific day, the last thing he wants to see is an official from David's court who knocks on his door with the words, King David wants you. I imagine that Mephibosheth asked why a number of times in that process. Probably right then he asked why, but we know that eventually he asked why even to David himself. And in verse 7, David answers him, Do not be afraid, for I will surely show you kindness. Kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather Saul. 
and you will always eat at my table. David answers Mephibosheth by saying, this is not because of something you earned. But it is because of the kindness of another. But because of the kindness of another, in an instant, when David, when he responds with such God kindness, it instantly changes the game for Mephibosheth. Because immediately the death sentence is removed. The very one that he would expect who wants to see him dead has, has said, no, your life is, is to be spared. Not only that, but Mephibosheth instantly, he, he restores an inheritance. David says, I'm going to give you even the land that, that should be yours. Man, this, this inheritance, it, it is restored to you. And he gains a family. He gains a family. Here's David who is, who is acting as, as a father would act on his behalf. Mephibosheth is given a place at the table. And, and it goes on to read in this story that Mephibosheth would sit at the table like one of the king's sons. And all of a sudden, there is wealth and power and hope and dignity and status and love when the curse is lifted and life is given. Now that is a story of real superpower. And what I want you to know today is that it can be the kind of story that is written in and through your life. It is not just reserved for David. It is not just reserved for kings. But it is the kind of story that can be written in and through your life. Here's how I know that. The anchor text that we have come back to again and again in this series has been Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, it reads this way, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And what, what we have learned is for those of us who belong to Jesus, this is the reality in our life. When we surrender our life to him, completely forgiven, there is this miracle of new life, and it is brought about by his spirit, his presence in us. He is the source of the power. And when we ask, what kind of power? Well, we have been making our way through, and today, just so happens, we land on kindness. This superpower of God's kindness. Now, let's be honest. Like, if I said, here's the list, you get to pick three. You know, if this were the case, just pretend. Like, if this is the list, okay, God's spirit in you, superpower available, pick three. I would say that it's fairly safe to reason that many of you would not pick kindness. You wouldn't. 
If you had to like pick three, you'd be like, well, let's just go with love because that one seems to be connected with everything. And if I forgot that, it's, it's going to affect all. And, and now that I think about it, joy is kind of a big deal to me. I, I really would like to have joy or, or maybe it's peace, man. I, I am so tired that the, the anxiety, the, the wrestling match in my heart, I, I would rather have peace or maybe even like last week, you go patience. I, I struggle with it so much. I, I need a lot of people would not pick kindness because if we were allowed to admit it, there's a little bit of the word kindness that kind of even sounds weak to us. It sounds a little Mr. Rogers, right? Less about a cape and more about a sweater vest, kind of what it sounds like. And I think the reason for that is because we often account, we equate kindness with niceness. We do. We equate kindness with niceness. And when we think about being nice, can we just say that lots of times we think about being fake? When we think about being nice, we think about being fake. Because what, what it really means is I'm going to be polite in this instance. I am not going to be real with you. I'm going to tell you what you want to hear, not, not actually what I want to tell you. I'm going to be nice. I'm going to put on a, a good face for the world. We often equate kindness with niceness, that it is this action that takes place that, yeah, it costs a little bit, but it's not really that costly, and it, it doesn't take that much, and it's just sometimes the more convenient way out. I want you to know that is not what this word encompasses. That is not what this word comp kindness is, is all about when, when we read it in Scripture. It is a deep word. It is a deep term. When, when we read this in the Old Testament, it, it is connected to the, the hesed love of God, this, this covenant love that cannot be broke, broken. It, it only comes from God. You can't, you can't stir this up. This is something that, that only takes place from the inside out, from the connection that you have with God. Kindness is not nice it is being aggressively kind. It is being aggressively kind. Who can I seek out? That's what David asked. Who can I seek out to show kindness, God's kindness? It is aggressive. Here are the kind of texts that we read in the New Testament when it comes to kindness. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Hmm. We begin to realize that when we're talking about kindness, there's some aspect of this where we're talking about treating others the way God treated you. Kindness is to treat others the way, the way God treats you. And when our world sees kindness displayed, it is an opportunity to shine the light on the kindness of Jesus in our lives. Now, I think the other reason that some of us wouldn't pick kindness is because we're afraid. We wouldn't pick kindness as the top of, hey, if I had to pick three, because when we think of kindness, we are afraid. It is the idea that if you are too kind, 
what happens? What happens when you are too kind to people? When you, when you are too kind to people, it opens the door that people will take advantage of you. Can I tell you that you are correct in your expectation? But the question that I must follow it with is, but why would you be afraid of that? Why would you be afraid of that? That is a part of what we sign off on when we choose to follow Jesus. A quick story that I thought about this week. I hadn't thought about this in a long time. I used to play golf a lot, a lot. I enjoyed the game, liked to play golf, liked the history of it. Uh, there's just some cool life lessons that comes from sports. And so for a period of time in my life, I haven't played in several years, but there's a lot of life lessons that come from golf. I, I remember a story of a golfer. His name was Roberto DiFenzenzo. Funny name, some funny stories. He is probably most famous for signing an incorrect scorecard where he would have been tied for the lead for the Masters, but he signed an incorrect scorecard, and he, and he, and he therefore was disqualified from, from winning. So he's sort of known for that. But there's another story that he's known for, that after winning the Houston Open, all right, so you can already tell this guy, he's a good golfer. He wins the Houston Open, and in the parking lot on the way to his vehicle, he is confronted by a woman who begins and engages a conversation with him and then unfolds this gut-wrenching story of her daughter's battle with leukemia. Well, as DiFenzenzo listens to the story, he is moved with compassion, and before the conversation is over, he signed over his winnings from the Houston Open to this lady so that something could be done for her daughter. As word of the story began to circulate later, Roberto was approached <laughs> by his friends to say, man, you do understand. You got scammed. You got scammed. Her daughter is not dying. To which DiVenzenzo replied, my friend, that is the best news that I have heard in a long time. Hmm. I've never forgotten that story. I've never forgotten that story. And the reason I haven't forgotten the story is because most of us would have responded with, what? I lost my paycheck. His response was, a little girl doesn't have leukemia? That's the best news that I've heard in a long time. I, it, the, the story is remarkable. Now, please don't misunderstand me. I, I am not recommending that you go look for an opportunity to be taken advantage of. I am not. You don't need that. God, you are taught to be wise even in Scripture. You, you are taught to be wise. So you don't need to go look for opportunities to be taken advantage of. But here's what I'm saying. In light of what God has extended to you and me now, in light of the fact that his presence, he 
God himself willing to dwell within us in light of what God has extended to us eternally, knowing that we are kept, we are held forever, a a, a place prepared for us for all of eternity, knowing in, in light of all that we have been given, certainly we are willing to risk all that is temporary for the opportunity to love others and display a kindness that points to the greatness of God whose kindness has been shown to us. In light of what we have been given, now and forever, all that is eternal, all that can never be taken away, surely we're not going to play it so safe that we will never risk losing temporary stuff for the chance to demonstrate God's kindness. You say, well, Jeff, I I just don't think that's smart. I don't think we are required to be kind to those who are not kind to us. (laughs) Then you're going to struggle to follow Jesus. Check this out. Luke chapter 6, verse 35, he says, love your enemies. Don't you love that? Love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, because, you ready for this one? He is kind to the grateful. Uh Uh-uh. He is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Are you kidding me? Now, come on, let's admit, we all have a tendency to disregard the things that Jesus says that we don't like. We do. We have a tendency to read some of the things that Jesus says, and we don't like kind of how it unfolds, and so we are, we are quick to, to just, let's read it, and let's acknowledge that he said it, but now let's find the next Bible study. Right? Let's find another Bible study that, that, that doesn't deal with, with, with something that, that's, so, that's so difficult. It says he is kind, yes, to those who love him, but he is also kind to those who don't. He, he is kind, yes, to those who are grateful, but he is also kind to those who are not even thankful for his kindness. In fact, he is kind to people who don't even think about his kindness. God's kindness, he says, I I am kind regardless of you. Kindness is given even when it's not deserved. See, I think a lot of people believe that the enemy of kindness is wickedness. But the enemy, I think, of kindness is not wickedness. I think for most of us, the enemy of kindness is busyness. It's busyness. Because Jesus took wickedness out of, out of play. Hey, if somebody doesn't treat me right, then I'm just, I don't think I need to be kind to them. Ah, he said, yeah, you do. So he just took that one out of play, whether they're kind or whether they're not, whether they're grateful or whether they're not, whether they believe in him or whether they don't. He says, kindness. But sometimes it's busyness for us that just is the point at which we struggle to demonstrate a kindness. It was Ralph Waldo Emerson who made this statement, you cannot do a kindness too soon. 
for you never know how soon it will be too late. He's right. He's right. So let's get practical for a minute. Let's get practical for a minute and let's recognize the power. Let's recognize the opportunity to show kindness with our deeds. Come on. I think sometimes it's just a matter of an intentionality that says, I need to be reminded, I need to be reminded that, that God has given me today, and today really is this, this very precious gift from him. God, today, will you help me act in someone's life to show kindness? For those of you who love leadership, you love studying leadership, you love talking leadership, you want to be a good leader, tenderness can motivate people to do things that toughness never will. The image is not a whip, it's a word, it's kindness. And if you wanna live without regrets and you wanna impact the world, he says, look, deeds of kindness, you have an opportunity to act. Let's go deeper. If I really want to show kindness with my deeds, then I I should think about some kindness with my words. I want you to see this less as a list, and I want you to see it more like a tunnel. We tunnel deeper with my words. Why is it so much easier to say something unkind rather than to go out of our way to build people up? It's a... A crowd this size makes it safe for me to say what I'm about to say. Some of y'all are crabs. Some of y'all are crabby. Not kind. And people know it when you're not kind. They write to me about you. They do. (laughs) They do. And I just want to remind you, you, you have a kindness kit You have a kindness kit that you carry around with you all the time. It is your tongue. And it gives you the power to build up and not tear down. It gives you the power to bless and not to curse. And you have the power sometimes with just one word. There's an old Japanese proverb that says one kind word can warm three winter months. Makes sense here in the middle of winter how often we have an opportunity but we don't and I remind you that kindness is not just how you act in regards to your friendships the ability to speak a word but it's also how you react to your enemies a brother and sister we're having a conversation the brother at the end of a school day he he said to his sister hey have you, you met that new kid and she said, no, I, I really haven't met him. I mean, I've seen him from a distance. He, he seems nice. And the brother responded, um, he's a moron. And she said, well, come on. You, you can't call him names. I mean, uh, you, you don't even know him. You, you can't call him names. I don't go around calling people's names. He said, well, okay. He said, I, I just got mad because he said you were stupid looking. She said, what else did the moron say? I know it's goofy, but that's how we are. That's how we can be. When all of a sudden the threat arrives, when when all of a sudden the pressure moves toward our own value and heart, 
Kindness is not just how you act toward a friendship, it is also how you react toward an enemy. But I think kindness can also be misunderstood because in our culture, we are taught that kindness means to never say that anything is wrong, right? In our culture, we are taught you can't, you can't tell somebody that they're wrong. You, you can't tell them that what they're doing is wrong. That's being unkind. I think that's why we often associate it with niceness. It, we make kindness this softness of heart that accepts everything. And I want you to know that biblically God says, no, you can call something wrong and be kind. You can. It, you don't want a doctor who wants to be so kind to you that she doesn't tell you what's wrong because she's afraid she will upset you. No, you want a doctor that cares enough about you that she will tell you the truth. Here's what's wrong. Here's what we need to do so that you can have life full. For me, even to, to stand here and talk about sin, my prayer is always, God, when we talk about these things, please don't let them sound like this is a matter of, of harshness. This is a matter of attack. But God, may it sound like a love that is kind enough, that wants people to live. I, that can be done without harshness. It can be done without arguing. I, I, something kind of interesting has happened in, in the, the last several weeks as we if I've been studying this and there is a Bible study that one of our uh, Bible studies wants to happen at one of our campuses and it, it's a Bible study called the the way of the master and it's connected to Kirk Cameron and the guy that he that guy that you know works with him all the time and you you may have seen it now I'm going to tell you when it comes to this Bible study, I think the strength of the Bible study is a willingness to confront the issue of sin against God. And in a lot of Bible studies, this one deals with evangelism. It's about how to share the good news of Jesus. Lots of times when, when, when Bible studies happen in terms of evangelism, that there's this tendency to want to just let's, let's leave the sin part out. Let, let's don't talk about how messed up we are before God. The, the strength of this uh, approach and what is taught is really this willingness to confront the issue of sin. However, I, I'm bringing this up because there have been times uh, over the last years where I've watched some of the videos when Kirk Cameron and this dude are interviewing people on the street and they're actually sharing their faith, if you will, sometimes it kind of can turn toward what suddenly sounds like an argument. It, 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 it can sometimes suddenly turn and feel incredibly combative. And it's, it kind of feels like this harshness in the name of calling sin, sin. Now, come on. It is absolutely true that people are separated judicially when, when we talk about our relationship with God. We have a debt that we cannot pay. In the court, in the judgment, we are guilty. But it is also true that this is about a relationship. It's about a relationship with a father that we were built for, that it has been separated. And I'm saying too often, 
Sometimes what happens in the presentation of the gospel is that the good news is presented simply as a way to have your debt paid for and hardly ever talks about this relationship that God desires. There are lots of analogies of a courtroom and judgment and debt to be paid and not a lot of analogies about an adoption, about a fatherhood. He, he wants to be, right? And, and so sometimes we, we got to realize, listen, I'm for this study. It's a perfect example of I want this Bible team, to, I want them to study it. But it's an example of how we don't have to throw the whole thing out just because we perceive that there might be one part of this that might need to be strengthened a little bit. We just need to learn and we need to be careful. Boldness for Jesus includes kindness. It does. Boldness for Jesus includes kindness. And according to Jesus, even to enemies, even to enemies, show kindness with your deeds, kindness with your words. And the last one is to show kindness with what I'm calling your heart. Now, I don't really know how to say this, so I'm just going to read it to you and show you what I'm talking about. In Matthew chapter 8, verse 2, it says, A man with leprosy came and knelt before him, Jesus, and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately he was clean, cleansed of his leprosy. Now, you already got the clue. I think this is an amazing text. But what is most amazing about this text is not that Jesus healed the guy. What is most amazing about this text is that Jesus touched the guy. He touched the guy because the guy had leprosy. And you understand in that day, someone who had leprosy, they they were completely, completely isolated. I don't know anywhere. If you can find it, you show me. I don't know anywhere from this point all the way back to the beginning of the Bible. I don't know anywhere in the Old Testament that it says that a leper was touched. Anywhere. I I can't find it anywhere that a leper was ever physically touched. Did Jesus have to touch him? No, we're talking about the Jesus who can stand at the mouth of a tomb of a guy who's been dead four days and say, come on. He does not need to touch the guy. He could simply say, be healed, and it is done. But there is something of a heart matter when Jesus not only heals him, but he touches him. I remember the story of, of a man named Dr. Paul Brand. He was, a, he was a physician who worked in India with lepers for his lifetime, really. And there is a story, leprosy, leprosy kills the nerve endings. That's what happens. And you can't feel physical pain. But the pain connected to leprosy is that for the rest of your life, you are isolated, you are outcast, 
There, there is an emotional rejection that comes to it. It's just overwhelming. There was a day that Dr. Brand was examining a young man, and he's telling the, the translator there, here's what we're going to be able to do to help this young man with leprosy. And the story is that the man just began to cry and shake to the place that he literally almost fell off of the examining table. And Dr. Brand looks at the translator and he says, I'm sorry, did I, did I say something wrong? Did we do something wrong? And the translator said, no. He said, you simply put your hand on his shoulder when you told him what you were going to do. This man's had leprosy for 20 years. And even among his own family, this is the first time anyone has touched him in 20 years. Now, please don't miss my point today. My point is not to make a big deal out of touch. Now, I believe that there's power in touch. I do. There is power in a hug. There is power in a hand on a shoulder. But we also live in a messed up world where touch has just gone crazy in terms of people abusing people. It has gone crazy. So I want you to make sure that you hear what I'm saying today is not giving you license to walk around putting your hands on people. Can we just say that? If you do that, some of us are going to have a conversation with you in love. Kindness, okay? That's not what this is about. My point is that I challenge you to ask God to give you the ability to go beyond just an act, go beyond just a deed, beyond just a word, but God will you in your power communicate to this person, I love them. And maybe it is a hand on a shoulder. Maybe it is a hug in an appropriate setting. But, but maybe it, it's something different. I know there are so many hearts all around us all the time ready to be melted by some simple displays of kindness that we would say, I want to reach out to you like God has reached out to me. Listen to this, Titus chapter three, verse three. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when? When the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he Saved us. When the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. Not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by who? Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, who he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified, there's our word from last week, God declaring we are right with him by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. 
God, I'm, I'm asking that you would help us right now to grasp the connection. The connection between what Jonathan did for David a long time ago that David then in turn did for Mephibosheth a long time ago. God, I'm asking that by your spirit right now across this room, God, those who are going to hear my voice, God, that you would give us eyes to see and a heart to comprehend how this is connected to us. When you, our God, in kindness and in love did all that was necessary to save us. Will you give us eyes to see right now? It's in the name of Jesus I ask it. Amen. Hear me. The story of Mephibosheth can be your story. God wants the story of Mephibosheth to be your story. Here's what I mean. Long time ago, an enemy slithers into the garden and sin enters. And for all of mankind, it is the worst day. Why? Because the father that we were built to love and know that relationship now. It's separated. He is still Father, but not ours. No connection. There is a separation. It is though he is gone. An inheritance that we were built for. I mean, even on that day, the very garden, the very land that God had prepared, they, they had to be removed from that. Uh, the inheritance that, that we were built for, that, that he intended for us, it, gone. And on that day, when sin entered, it was a death sentence. It was a debt that we could not pay. And the price was death. But when God, in kindness and love, just wouldn't quit. And he made the way, the way that I get to tell you about today, that if you will turn, a turn toward Jesus, it is called repentance. And a trust in him, it is called faith that he He who came to be our Savior. He the one who came to pay the price that we could not pay. He became the one even willing to die in our place. The sacrifice for our sin. That if you will today. A turn toward Jesus. And a trust in him. Everything changes. A father back. 
He had never gone anywhere, but the relationship between me and him, it is now made right. It is now made possible. I I can know him, and and I can love him. I got a place at the table. Come on, in this room, there are sons and daughters of a king because that king has shown up in kindness and love. But not only do you get a father, you, you get an inheritance You get an inheritance. It is what we are studying in this series, the fact that God himself present in you, pouring out his power, giving you dignity and status and love, a a, a hope of a future home. You got an inheritance. It all changed when he showed up in kindness and love. A father, an inheritance. But you also lost something. Because on the day that in his kindness and love, he walked out of a tomb alive, you lost a death sentence. Because on that day, death was arrested, and new life began. May the sons and daughters of a king sing and then leave this place and demonstrate a kindness just like has been demonstrated to us. Let's stand. We sing.